Welcome to Setsing. Could you please talk about the concept that there is only now? <laughs> it's not a concept, it's a reality. Uh, a concept is an idea. There is only now. Uh, everything uh, that you think from before, if from memory is gone, and everything that's projected forward is just a dream, a projection. There is only now. But most adult human beings don't really live with their awareness in the now. They live with their awareness on their minds and their mind is either projecting forward or remembering or analyzing. And so they're not fully present to what's here now because they're present to thoughts or dreams. In those thoughts, in those dreams, there's a couple of things that can happen that aren't pleasant. Quite often we're into problem solving because that's what we were taught to do at school. So people spend their lifetime uh, finding problems or seeking problems and solving them. Uh, projecting into the future, we have hope and we have fear, uh, two real main enemies of enlightenment, uh, if, we, if, if enlightenment has enemies. And then there's the memory of the past, which is really gone, it's dead. But people tend to live in their minds to a large degree. Of course, this is living in lower consciousness because dream is lower consciousness or thoughts are lower consciousness. In going towards higher consciousness, we become more present to what's real, uh, what's actually happening in the world rather than what we're thinking about what's happening. And as we go to super consciousness, awareness becomes aware of itself. So there's present moment awareness of reality because beingness is real. The preparation for that is being present to what is real out here uh, in the material world. What's happening around you, uh, your own body, your awareness in your body. Are you aware in your body or are you not? Have you got awareness in your feet? Have you got awareness in your hands? Uh, can you feel your body or are you too in your head? When you're talking with people or being with people, are you actually being with them or are you in your head thinking about what you're going to say next? And so it's good to have a look. It's good to examine where in fact you live. The sage lives in the moment, always here because it's the only time that's real. That prepares uh, the mind for uh, superconsciousness enlightenment. But it's up to you because you're going to have to get out of the dream that you found yourself in, which would have happened probably during school school time, because we had to learn to live in our heads so we could uh, find problems and solve them to get the marks we needed to go forward. But to reclaim reality from the dream that we're probably lost in as adults takes meditation practice and mindfulness practice. Meditation is simply being aware of something that's real. And so is mindfulness. Meditation tends to be more formal. You're actually sitting, maybe watching the breath. Whereas mindfulness training is just being present to what's around you, present to your footfalls, present to what you see, present to what you hear. Um, 
And then you start living in the moment rather than living in this dream that you think might be real, but there is nothing real about thoughts. It is all dream. That is the matrix of the mind. And it's worth getting out of. It's worth getting free of it because it was never programmed to be happy. It's not like we went to school and we were programmed to be happy. We were programmed to be efficient machines. Happiness wasn't part of the deal. And so as long as we're locked in our minds, or at least a percentage in our minds, we're probably involved in things that don't make us happy. Fears of the future, well, that's suffering. Worry is suffering. Uh, guilt of the past is suffering. You know, once again, something that's not real because it's gone. All this suffering can occur as a result of living in your head, analyzing things constantly, trying to work out problems. That's not happy. So have a look at what actually is happy. And my understanding is happiness comes when we're more present to what's real because human beings are actually naturally buoyant. Of course, if we're negative thinkers, that's going to be a little difficult because the negativity creates a down. And I'm not suggesting that we become positive thinkers, not at all. But if you are a negative thinker, it's not a bad idea to not entertain the negativity because it just hurts you. It doesn't do you any favors. Get present to what's real. And everything is real except what you think. <laughs> it's a lot harder than I'm saying to get present to what is real and stay present to what is real. It takes practice. Someone who is very present has practiced a lot. They've actually failed a lot. That's why they succeeded. And that's going to be up to you. You're the one that actually has to bring your awareness to what's present, what's real and develop a habit of what's being with what's present, what's real, because more than likely you have a habit of being with what is not real, the mind, the place where unhappiness occurs. Reclaim reality, meditate, practice mindfulness, get real. It's up to you. No one can make you do it. Are there any questions? or any statements or any challenges to this teaching today? We have a question. Do you have to move slowly to maintain present moment awareness with what you're doing? Heck no. You can move very quickly. You ever watch footballers uh, moving very quickly, passing the ball from one player to the other and how present they are? Or you ever watched a martial artist, a good martial artist, how present they are while they're moving extremely quickly. No, you don't have to slow down. Not at all. <laughs> we can move as fast as we like and be present to whatever's around us. Up to you. The next question is, when everything seems to be not going okay, how can we be okay with the now? Well, if everything's not going okay, that's probably a dream you're having. What happens if you come to the present moment and just be with what's real here and now? A lot of what we consider not okay is thoughts. 
in our thoughts. It's not in reality. Get present and you find that life is okay. Stay in your head and you're going to find it's probably not. Living in your head, living in your mind, living in the matrix of your mind is not the best place to live. You look at little kids up to the age of four or five, they're living in the reality. They're living in a level of wonderment. And we as adults can move back to that if we're willing to create a practice that allows us to be present to what is real instead of present to what's here. But only you can do that. You can't get it from listening to me or reading a book on meditation. You can only get it through practice. So reclaim reality. Practice. The next question is, how do I make plans for the future without being lost in imagination? Okay, so how long does it take to make a plan? Say I want to go to Rottnest Island by ferry. I ring up the ferry, I book a ticket, I pay for it. And then when the time is right, sometime in the future, I execute the plan. Now that won't take me very long. Maybe a few minutes at the most, maybe not even that. I don't need to live in my head dwelling on it. There's nothing wrong with making plans. It's just that people make plans and then they live in their heads. They continue to live in their heads. And I'm suggesting that that's not a requirement for life as an adult. Arun has a question. Hello, Arun. Hi, Vish. Uh, my question is, so I've read that there, there is no such thing as free will, but I get, I get just from my day-to-day -day experience, I feel that I have the ability to make different choices. I can also see that some of these things that I perceive as choices are still within the confines of my conditioning up till now like all the product of things that has happened. So my question is with this in mind, how do I best make choices that don't lead me to more suffering? <laughs> Pretty good question. My understanding is also that we actually don't have free will because we didn't program ourselves. If we had a programmed ourselves, we would have free will because the decisions we make would be made on the programming that we put in. But as the programming that we operate from was not put in by us, we are running true to patterns uh, that aren't ours. Mm. As far as making choices are concerned, we're going to make the choices we're programmed to make no matter what. Now, satsang uh, and personal growth are basically interventions to help people change patterning. Mm. But once again, it's coming externally. So for me, I got external uh, um, help uh, when I was 19. I got into personal growth and people were helping me change my patterning, but the patterning was still coming from outside of me. And then when I was 28, I got into um, uh, spiritual growth. And once again, the patterning was coming from outside of me. The ideas, the understandings were coming mm. from outside of me. But that intervention helped me change the whole way I thought, but still it came from outside of me. So when we talk about making better decisions, 
my better decisions were made as a result of intervention external to me once again. Mm. If I had run true to my patterning from my family, um, I would have had a very, very different life. Very, very different life. It was wonderful that I had this intervention when I was so young, where I actually basically got deprogrammed and reprogrammed to programs that were more uh, efficient and more helpful to me rather than detrimental to me because all human beings are programmed with limiting belief systems. Mm. And as long as we have limiting belief systems, well, we're limited. Uh, it was great to have people intervene and help me change those, convince me that it was a great idea to change them. And then I put the effort into making those changes. But I don't think we have free will, even, even after we've been deprogrammed and reprogrammed. I still think we run true to our patterning. And I believe my mind is still running true to its patterning to this day. Yeah, that's the thing that I always get confused with because it's like you say, you know, if you compare the path of the programming from your original family life to the path now with the interventions and the deprogramming and the reprogramming, was the fact that you were deprogrammed and reprogrammed always part of the path that you would have followed or because of this lack of free will or it always, it just confuses me. I, I got to tell you the story about how I got into personal growth that Ronan, it'll blow your mind. Mm. I was, um, I was a pretty rough character at the time. I was a mechanic, I think. Um, and, uh, my girlfriend who I ended up marrying, uh, got talked into doing a personal growth group called the greatness in you seminar, which was a four day live in encounter group. Mm. And uh, she paid a huge amount of money for it. Uh, and so being her boyfriend and being the man, I rocked up to these guys wherever they were operating from their offices or whatever, uh, with full intention to get the money back one way or another. And uh, the guy said to me, uh, why don't you do the group? And I said, no, I don't want to do the group. I want the money back and I want it now. And they said, what if you do the group for free? And I said, not even if I do it for free. I don't want the group. Don't want to do it. And they said, what are you frightened of? And, and being young, I, I went, I'm not frightened of anything. So they said, why don't you do the group? And I said, because they got me. Yeah. And I said, okay, I'll do the group. I'm the man. I can do the group. Anyway, it was an encounter group, which I didn't, I'd never had an experience of whatsoever. And they blasted the hell out of me through this group. But I was so impressed by what they showed me in those four days that I quit my job and went to work for them, promoting their groups. The whole intervention came accidentally. In other words, I never went looking for it. Yep. Yeah. And the, when I got involved with the Rajneesh organization, it was similar. I was actually... Um, just visiting and, and I got taken, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I can't say that I deliberately went looking for anything myself. I'd say it was all a cosmic accident. Okay. Yeah. But the reason I asked this, the question is because to the ability that I'm able to surrender in my life now, I can appreciate much more than I would have been able to appreciate say six months ago or 12 months ago that certain things just happen. And initially I guess people who don't inquire in this way would just think, Oh, that's a coincidence or wasn't that odd that that happened. But sometimes now when I just witness, I think, Oh, that 
that just happened that way. But that's so that is the level to which my surrender now allows me to appreciate some of this dance of life, if you want to call it. But in, in the other way, the reason I asked the question is now I'm looking to decide what this next thing that I'll do in my work for work is and actually causes me a lot of stress for lack of a better way to think, well, what should I choose? I can choose A or B or C. And I think this is a choice that I have to make, whereas letting the play of life in other things just happen in front of me is easy. But making this choice in this regard is something that causes me a little bit more distress. And I don't want to have the distress to pick a choice. Well, you're programmed to have the stress and you're going to be programmed to make the choice you make. But one of the words you used when you were talking to me was witnessing. You see, most people don't actually witness their minds. They're caught in the drama of them. So they never get to see the nuts and bolts of what's happening. In witnessing the mind, because we've all been programmed as problem solvers, in witnessing the mind, we can actually see what's not working and what is working. Mm. And and as a result of the initial programming of problem solving, we can go in there and change things. But once again, that's from our earlier programming. The difference yeah. is the witnessing, that's all. We're getting to see what's wrong. We're getting to see what's what's what works and what doesn't work. And ultimately, you know, whatever decision we make, we don't really know where it's truly going to head us because we yeah. can't see the we can't we can't see what's going to happen next. Yeah. And so I live in trust. So whatever happens is meant to happen as far as I'm concerned, because I'm not fighting existence. And so I don't worry. I don't stress whatever happens or whatever decision I make, that's the one that's meant to be made. Otherwise it wouldn't be. So this yeah. is a fatalistic attitude, which is also a program by the way, but it's a brilliant program because it stops all stressing. It stops. Yeah. all. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Arun, yeah. that came from India. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thank you. The next question is, does intervention always happen by chance? Well, it's a funny word, the word chance. I think everything is chance, really. It's we like to think we have this massive amount of control over everything. I don't think so. Uh, we're going to die when we die. We're going to have accidents when we have them. We think, you know, this, I really am a fatalist. Whatever happens is meant to be happening. And as a result of that, I can be cool, but it's pretty hard to be cool when you're constantly resisting life, constantly trying to control it. There's nothing wrong with wanting things to be a certain way, but do you need to stress out to make it so? Do you need to get anxious in case it goes a different way? No, you don't. Developing an attitude that life is the way it is rather than good or bad is a brilliant way to live. There's freedom in that. There's no stress in it. It's just what is. And it's going to be up to you because you're in charge of your attitudes. I'm giving you a possibility to change an attitude. And if you change your attitudes, you can have more peace. But the way most people think, they don't get much peace because they get very angsty about the future and they get stressed out. 
these things are worth changing because that kills your quality of life. It kills your happiness. And so it's good to have a look at what it is in our lives that creates stress. What is it in our lives that create worry and stop them? And the stress is caused by our resistance to what is. And worry is us living in our heads, projecting some fearful thing in the future. Not real. Don't support it. Talking to Arun before, one of the things that our intervention occurred for me is that I got intervention around worry and uh, how worry works and that we actually are in control of worry because if worry starts to come into our minds, we can actually stop it. And if we stop it often enough, we develop a default pattern of not entertaining worry. And so worry doesn't come anymore. And that was one of the first things that I got to change as a teenager. It took a few years to change it. And there was a lot of failures on the way, but it did change. And what a brilliant thing to not have in your life, worry. Because worry is suffering. And worry doesn't change anything whatsoever. There is no positive outcome to worrying, only a negative outcome. Not a bad program to change. Witness it. Stop it. Next, Nadine would like to ask a question. Ah, you're on. Hello. Hi, Vishrant. Um, in what you were saying about there being a predetermined or um, that we have no choice, there was an experience I had many years ago where I was in the middle of a really um, like a, a, a huge um, gathering. It was massive and it was down on the foreshore and there was all this noise. And I had this voice, sort of like a instruction come, which said, listen to the silence. And in my mind, I asked the question back, what silence? And as I asked the question, what silence? It was like I just experienced this depth of silence that was underneath all sound. And this voice, I wonder what, I don't know if you've experienced that where it comes like a voice, almost like an instruction. I've had it a couple of times and I just, I don't know but it's leading, it leads somewhere really profound, but I just don't know what that is. Do you have anything to say about that? We're entering a mystery that I have experienced, but I truly don't understand because I've also had that voice only a few times. Yeah. And both, on both occasions, it saved my life. Yes. I was, uh, one time I was diving um, between Rottnest and the Gardner Highland, a series of reefs called the Stragglers. Mm -hmm. And I had uh, swum about a hundred, well, probably a kilometre away from the boat, which is a long way underwater. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I'd run out of air. So I was on the surface coming back and uh, swimming with a snorkel. And at some point, uh, a wave went over the top of me and I didn't register it. And I breathed in a lung, two lungs full of water. 
and I started to sink really rapidly because I had weight belts on and tanks. And I tried to kick to the surface and both legs cramped up immediately and couldn't be used. And this voice came and it was so calm, mm -hmm. so quiet, mm -hmm. so beautiful. Mm -hmm. It said, if you panic, you are going to die. Yes. And I didn't panic. I just dropped my weight belt, dropped my tank. I got to the surface. I, I vomited underwater because I was, my lungs were full of water. And then I got to the surface and I was able to breathe. And so that little voice, wherever it came from, it saved my life. So, but it's a mystery to me. I have no idea where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. So, but again, it's intervention. It's like, it feels, it felt like it came from outside of me. It didn't, once again, intervention. It felt, it felt like a sort of grace to me. I've had Could it a few, a few times and it's all, and there's a receptivity before it, but it, somehow it's just, it's like some, I don't know that, I guess, I don't, I don't know, but it, it was a sense of a higher sense of self, something that's more than, than our identity or my identity at the time. Yeah. Almost it's, crashed on through. It's, once again, I, I don't know. You know, like I, 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 I experienced what you're talking yeah. about, but I, I just don't know. Yes. And there's so much I don't know. There's yeah. such a mystery in life that goes on. I think that we have all sorts of interventions that we don't know of. Uh, but I, once again, I don't know. And I'm okay with I don't know. Yes. yes. The wanting to know is a form of control, wanting to control again. Mm. Mm. So then we get in touch with the inner knowing, which actually doesn't use words, and that just knows which way to go or which way not to go, and that's different again. And uh, I've been in touch with that most of my uh, adult life to some degree because it seems to know better than my logical mind does which way to go. Mm. You have to be so quiet to hear that because it doesn't talk and it just knows. And the, the mind and it's the ego tries to override it with rationale thinking. And it's not rationale. It just knows which way to go. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Like I'm doing something and I ask myself, why am I doing this? And then something happens. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, there it is there. You know, it's something with some need somewhere or something was needed in some way. Mm. It's, it's a funny old world we live in. I was, I was looking at a, a something that I wrote a long time ago. It's about um, being called to truth. And I realized that uh, there's something in there I don't know as well, but I feel that somehow I was called to truth and that I answered the call mm. uh, to truth, to, to find self as truth. But I, I've recognized that not everybody gets that call. Mm. And I wonder what that's about as well, you know? Mm. <laughs> so, because I, if you had have known me before I got into spirituality, you would have said I was the most unlikely person to get into spirituality ever. I knew you at the beginning of it, at, at some part of it. So it was. I, I'd already become a sannyasin then. So. Yeah, you had. You never saw me in my bikey days. No, <laughs> no, but there were still flavours and echoes of it then. <laughs> sure.
<laughs> Thank you. Yeah, nice to talk to you, uh, Savannah. Yes, yeah, Savannah is the, yeah, my son, yes, name. Mm -hmm. yeah. Arun has another question. Hello, Arun. Hello. My next question is, and I've asked you this before, but I'm still struggling with it. And I was hoping maybe you could give me a different way of looking at it. So I find, still find it very difficult to rest in ambient awareness or the witness kind of state whilst carrying out very mentally demanding tasks, like for example, reading. Um, is it, and I can tell that some part of me when I'm reading is still kind of entertaining my own self narrative thoughts of me, I, those kinds of things. But I want to know if, say, for example, someone like you who is awakened, can you still use the mind and be fully conscious? Because for me, it's the moment I go towards mental tasks, I really lose the ability to witness or rest in ambient awareness at all. Okay. Yeah, look, awareness can be on a lot of things at once. It doesn't necessarily have to be on one. But what we developed when we went to school, particularly if we were reading things that we needed to learn from, is we learned to focus and cut out everything else. And because we did that for so long, it became a default pattern. So every time we go to read, we cut out everything else. Does that mm. make sense? Yes. What I learned to do after I left school was stay aware of everything else while reading, which is ambient awareness. Yeah. But that took a lot of practice because it taken a fair bit of practice to be that focused. Yeah. Focus, like everybody else, had become my default pattern uh, at, uh, you know, at school. It took a while to develop ambient awareness again to get a pattern, a default pattern that was ambient rather than focused. And so if I'm walking now, I'm aware of everything around me the whole time. I'm not just in front of me or in my head. I'm, I'm 360 degree ambient. But that's been developed through practice, not through uh, luck or reading a book or listening to a teacher, through practice. Mm, okay. And it's nice. When you're ambient, by the way, you don't think, you can't. If you're yeah. really aware of everything around you, you, you can't think because as soon as you do, you lose your ambience. But don't you need the mind to think while you're reading or trying to solve a problem or something like that? You would think so, but not true. I, basically, I, have, uh, I, used to, I was a mechanic for a while. And so I can look at a problem without thinking and the answer comes to me. Now, how that works, I don't really know. It comes from the nothingness, but I do have a mind that understands mechanics so I can understand the answer as well. I don't, it's quite often I'll have a problem and rather than think about it, use analyzing about it, I'll just look at the problem and, and the answer will eventually come as to how to sort that problem out. And this is a whole different way of living than what we were taught at school. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, yeah. if you study Alexander Bell or Freud or any of these guys, when uh, Tesla, when they talk about where their main, main inventions come from, they talk about the nothingness. Nothing. They talk, yeah. yeah. 
And I, I agree, that's where it all is. It's just that getting in touch with that's a little difficult because we're so programmed to analyze. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's, yeah, thank you. That's something that's been annoying me for a little while. Well, you're running true to your default patterning, Arun, that's all. But that default patterning can be altered. Yeah. So, that, go ahead. Well, I was I was just going to ask a sort of follow up question to that, in the sense that you know, some of these, some of the texts and some of these other like great masters, they basically say that consciousness is there. It's like here and everything. It's everywhere. It's in every single thing. And then they also say that you know it's here, here and now, and it's in the present moment. But then I think to myself, well. They also say that the mind is based on time and time and space. So it's like, how can I ever use the mind, which is based in time and space, but still be here in the present moment? It's like one thing requires you to use past and memory and time and space. And the other thing is supposedly here and now. It's like they conflict. It's, it looks like confliction because you're so used to living in the mind. What if you weren't living in the mind? What if you were actually living as being this and, and the mind was just witnessing everything? Then that would be a totally different way of living. And that is the way of the sage. You don't live in the mind anymore. You live as being this, but the mind is witnessing everything because the witness is still the mind. Mm. And there's something aware of that witness. This is a whole different way, but because you're not used to it, you think that the way that you're thinking and the way you're operating is the only way. And I'm suggesting to you that it's not, but you were programmed for 12 years at school to think that way. So of course it seems like that's the only way and everyone, you know, probably thinks that way. So you think it's the only way. Yeah. I know for a fact that you don't need to live like that. You can live in the moment. 99.99999% of the time rather yeah. than and operate quite effectively in the material world as an adult. As a child, you couldn't do that because you wouldn't have the default programming in place to, to make it work in the world. But as an adult, we can because we have all that default patterning through repetition already there. Okay. Thank you. I'll persevere. <laughs> it's worthwhile. It's, it really is about getting back to the moment more and more and more and away from the yeah. dream because the dream is the trap. Yeah. The, the mind is the trap. Absolutely. The, the moments when I'm in just the ambient awareness, it's just so good. And, and it, there's nothing, there's, it, there's no mind thinking or any commentary and it's so awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> right on. Thanks Thank again. You. Thank you, Arun. The next question is, with ambient awareness, how does it work if you're trying to learn something new? Depending on what you're trying to learn, you see, I'll give you an example of that. Around about 20 years ago, I decided to put a website together for the for what I do, the satsang uh, with Vishran. And I did it with ambient awareness and I'd never done a website before. 
but because of all my previous programming uh, in lots of different areas, including with computers, I didn't actually have to focus. I could stay ambient and make it work. Now that might sound really, really uh, difficult, but it's not. We only think that we need to focus. Now, if it's something brand new that we have no experience with and nothing else has ever been like it, maybe we do need to focus. But most things, we have a series of patterns and programs inside of us as adults that help us make it work. But you won't know that as long as you stay in the, in, in the, the mind that's analyzing. You actually have to see what you can do without thinking and see how far you can get. It's an adventure. Ambient awareness is a beautiful way to live. And there's nothing wrong with focused attention. But unfortunately, most people spend a lot of their life focused. That's tense. It's not relaxed. It's not cool. And it's not happy. The following question is from Dawn, who asks, how do I forgive myself for absolutely unbelievably horrific things I know I've done to others from past lives? There is no doubt about what I have been shown. Yeah. Okay. So because when you did those things in past lives, your consciousness levels were at a level where that's all you could do you are running true to your patterning at the time. With the conscious levels you have today, you couldn't be involved in that. But how can you blame yourself or hold yourself or anyone else responsible, really, who is in lower consciousness, who is just running true to their default patterns for things I've done? If we've lived enough lives on this planet as humans, we've probably been involved with just about everything. But the reason we've been involved with just about everything is because that's where our consciousness levels and our programming was at, at that particular time. In looking back at it from a place of higher consciousness, we could make all sorts of judgments about it. But how can we do that really and think that we're being accurate when that person back then who doesn't exist anymore was just running true to their unconscious patterns, doing their best at that time. Fortunately for you, your consciousness levels have grown to a stage where you'd never be involved in any of those things again. Though I can assure you, <laughs> you would have paid the karma for them anyway. Running guilt on yourself, crazy. Because it's not you anymore. It's, it, it's over. It's gone. It's the past. And that person is not alive anymore. There's something new here. Because every moment we are reborn. Don't hurt yourself. Learn to love yourself. Find a way to love that one that was unconscious so long ago. Find a way to be loving towards that one. Because even today, in a lot of ways, we could look back at that one and go there, but for the grace of God goes I today.
you're fortunate that your consciousness levels have risen. Be kind to the one from the past whose consciousness levels weren't high. Be kind and loving. Arun would like to ask a question. <laughs> Sorry, I've banked all my questions from two weeks. They're all coming out. Okay, Arun. My next question is in regard to something that I read on um, Osho's website, and I was hoping maybe you could provide some clarity on it. He says that to get to the state of pure awareness, that when you aren't awake, you don't even know what that's like but he says the closest thing to it is kind of resting in being the witness of everything that happens and then he says something happens when you stay as the witness where you reach this in his text he calls it a jump point yeah and then he says you just go into awareness so what so for me like when i look at my daily life the times when i can be just witnessing is great and then I think the thought comes to me well am I close to the jump point am I far from the jump point how can I get closer to the jump point so I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that well those thoughts themselves will take you further away from what he could refer to as the jump point because <laughs> their dream but it's like at some point you start discovering a certain silence and stillness inside of yourself and it looks like a little bit of an abyss mm. And there's nothing there. It's a sort of an emptiness and you're watching it. So you're at the jump point. You're actually watching the, the nothingness to some degree and you walk around this abyss metaphorically. And at some point in continuing to look at the abyss or continuing to look at the emptiness and silence, the stillness, instead of looking at it, you find you are it. And that's the quantum leap. That's, that's mm -hmm. the jump. And you discover you are it. You are pure awareness. You were never this thing that was looking. You were never the witness. You were the pure awareness that was always there. But that's a quantum leap. And from my understanding, that happens through grace. But you can put yourself in the right position for that to occur. And meditation and witnessing, which was Osho's methodology mainly, is one of those ways. Self-inquiry, Advaita Vedanta style and Zen style, is another way putting yourself in a position where that quantum leap to uh, knowing self as truth can occur. But you can't actually really make that happen. That happens through grace. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for now I noticed basically very exactly kind of the way you described it, where when I'm witnessing either I, sometimes I use just sitting meditation um, and then other times I, I do the self-inquiry, like where am I or who am I or who speaks or things like that. And basically a silence descends and then there's this kind of like abyss of emptiness. But then um, for me currently, it basically gets interrupted and punctuated with the thought of it's always like, oh, this is so awesome or what, what happens from here or where is this going or okay. it's always like, yeah. So what I found for myself was the last thoughts that the ego is using to survive were the helper thoughts, which are the thoughts you're talking about now. And because I was looking, well, why, why wasn't, why wasn't it staying? Because I was yeah. fighting myself as the abyss. 
and then it was really clear the mind saw itself it saw itself surviving in helper thoughts so all helper thoughts and measuring thoughts were ended mm. then in other words they weren't entertained anymore instead of being entertained the question came who's aware of these thoughts which is once again an Advaita Vedanta methodology of inquiry and so any thought that arose was challenged with who's aware or what's aware. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. It's so, it's, I find it so interesting that I just, I'm on this spinning planet in the middle of this whole entire universe asking these strange questions and somehow it just feels right. But anyways, thank you. <laughs> you are right. Thank you. The next question is when there is no commentary and I'm in the nothingness, for example, if I'm doing a puzzle or playing sport, sometimes I wonder, did I really live? Is that because my mind is not witnessing or is that how it feels to be outside your head for once? Well, if you consider living inside your head, living, you're wrong. It's existing. You're existing in a dream. We can only really live in reality. And in reality, we're not living in our heads. We're not living in thoughts. We're with what's real. You can exist in your mind, but you can't really live there because it's just a dream. True living is being aware of what's real, not aware of what's not real. That's just existing. So have a look, where are you living or where are you existing? The next question is, I find that hope helps me get through the difficult periods in life. Is it really so bad to use hope that way? Heck yeah. <laughs> Hope's like taking drugs. It takes you away from the now because it's a projection to the future. It's not real. There's nothing real about hope. It's just a, a, a relief from the reality of the moment. The same as taking drugs is a relief from the reality of the moment. Uh, it's, it's sometimes referred to the opiate of the people. Uh, I think it Karl Marx, uh, the founder of communism, called uh, religion the opiate of the people. And it was because of hope. You know, taking everyone away from the now into a promise of later because the now is so unpleasant. But unless we're willing to be with the now, we can't wake up. Unless we're willing to be with the now, we can't heal the wounds of our hearts. We have to be present to the real of the now to actually live in the now. We have only a few moments on this planet. Why waste them in a dream about later? The next question is, I find the idea that I have no future quite hard to accept. Do you ever feel the same? I have no future. It's beautiful. <laughs> I really have no future. It's, there's now, there's now, and here, there's now. This is real, but I don't have a future. That, that would, that's a dream that people have, that they have a future. There is no future. There is now. This is the only time that is real now. And now is nice. 
<laughs> that's it now how did you come to a deep understanding that the future and the past don't exist I uh, became a meditator uh, with Rush, the Rajneesh organization. Osho taught meditation as a pathway to enlightenment. And I used to do uh, dynamic meditation every morning and Kundalini meditation each evening. And I discovered no mind relatively quick. That's where you're not thinking, but you're still present. And it was very, very clear to me. No mind was real. And there was no future and there was no past. They were just dreams. It was just really, really clear. Anything that you think you project forward is not real. Anything that you remember is not real. Only this moment is real. Only this moment is real. But most human adults don't live in the moment. They live in some hybrid of awareness on the mind and awareness out here, and they suffer. Come to the moment, be present to reality, and most suffering disappears completely because most suffering is created by how you think. Projections. Memories, present moment awareness is brilliant. The power of now. It's common nowadays to hear about the power of the present moment. What is this power? <laughs> well, it's, it, it's the name of a book, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And uh, I don't, there's no real power. There's just the moment and you're either present to it or you're present to dream and dream is where you hurt yourself. It's where you suffer The now. And if you want to call it a power, if you're in the now, you don't suffer because you're not thinking you're present to reality. It's brilliant. The power of now you get to live. You get to live in something that's real instead of something that's not the power of now. I've heard you say this is as good as it gets and I don't really grasp that idea. Can you explain that? Yeah, there is no, there is no past. There is no future. This is as good as it gets right now. And it's always right now. And this is as good as it gets. And if you can't comprehend that, I suggest you practice meditating, find reality and stick to it instead of living in your head. It's as good as it gets right now, unless you're having a dream about later or before. Right here, right now. The next question is, how do I not get attached to material things that I want in the future? Well, you can't. If you're ego-based, that's what's going to happen. Uh, ego-based reality is such that you are programmed to desire things to change and you are programmed to get attached to things that you have. This is the programming and this default patterning usually goes until a person dies. But because we're intelligent, we can go beyond the mind. And when you go beyond the mind and know yourself as truth, desires have no power. Attachments don't exist. You're free. That's why they talk about enlightenment being freedom. The freedom is actually from your mind because your mind is a prison. The bars of which are made of fear that just keeps desiring until the day it dies, unless 
you find yourself as truth. And then it is not believed at all again. <laughs> it's over. How can it be real when you are being this? When knowing self as truth, the mind is not real. It's a fabrication. Truth is real. Wake up. Do everything in your power, everything that is possible to wake up. That's the best you can do for you. The next question is, I find when I engage in extreme sport, I become very present. How do I gain present moment awareness without engaging in life-threatening activities? Yeah, so that's how I um, got to be very present when I was young. I was involved with extreme sports and um, I didn't realize at the time that what I was actually in love with was the present moment not the extreme sports. The extreme sports took me to the present moment out of my head because like everybody else, to some degree, I'd lost myself in my mind at school. And so I liked playing rugby and I I'd played rugby for 15 years. I liked full contact martial arts. I did them for 15 years. I raced motorbikes. I rallied cars because they took me to this place that was brilliant called the present moment. And then... When I was 28, I discovered meditation taught by Osho Rajneesh. And I discovered that I could be in the now without risking my life. Awesome. A lot of the uh, extreme sports dropped away because I'd found the way to be present without putting myself in danger. And I just loved the present moment. It's so fresh. It's so alive. <laughs> meditation meditation the practice of being present to what is real how can i deal with boredom in meditation well if you're bored it means you're thinking and you're comparing so you're not meditating properly are you <laughs> if you're meditating properly you're keeping awareness on say the breath but if you're getting bored, it means you're measuring, which means you're thinking, which means your awareness is on your mind, not on the breath. Bring your awareness back to the breath and stay on the breath. Practice, practice and practice. You're not meditating properly if you're getting bored because you're putting your awareness on your judgments. Come back to the breath. Abandon the mind. Come back to the breath. Develop a practice of being present to what is real and the breath is real. What you think is not. Arun would like to ask another question. Hello, Arun. Hello. My question is just a follow up to what you were saying just then. Is it, is coming back to the breath sort of akin to a more concentrating style of meditation, whereas trying to be aware of everything? this more ambient aware, more like ambient awareness. And why would one do one over the other? Initially it is, it is, uh, it does take a bit of effort to keep the awareness on the breath. And after a while it becomes a pattern and it becomes easy. Um, if we have a habit of constantly thinking, watching the breath is going to be difficult for us in the early, in the early stages, because it's, it's, it's going against our pattern of thinking. 
And so there's a certain level of effort that's required in becoming a meditator in the beginning. After a while, it just becomes a default pattern to be in meditation, to be with what's real. And so whatever our default patterns are, if we're going to change them or attempt to change them, there is going to be discipline required to change those default patterns. And that takes effort for a certain period of time. That's just how it is. Our patterns don't change by themselves. They stay stable by themselves. The only way they change is through our intervention. Okay. Well, I was also getting along the line of um, focusing on the breath is like focusing on one thing, right? Just yeah. the breath with the exclusion of everything else. Whereas going ambient is trying to take in everything and trying not to exclude anything is one more true a truer form of meditation or not is not there anything like that okay See, i i did another i did the formal meditation that you just described for for years you know 20 years or more but i also did another form of meditation which i called walking in zen i'd walk on the beach from the river front and i watched my footfalls i'd watch my breath at my lip I'd feel the wind on my face. I'd feel the sun on my skin. I'd hear the sounds going and I'd be aware of all of those things at once. Well, there is no way known I could think at the same time. And so I was really truly having ambient awareness of everything happening around me without mm. thought. Mm. So okay. that, that's meditation as well. That's I called it walking in Zen. Yeah. Okay. And both are equally a pathway to awakening. Absolutely. Anything that gets you out of your head, you see the thing that stops people from waking up is living in the dream, living in the matrix of the mind. Yeah. And most people think the matrix of the mind is real. They have never examined it and seen that it is not real. It's a fabrication. Yeah. Do you not think that, um, you know how we were saying when we were kids, we we're educated essentially to, to concentrate and to, fo to focus, I guess, mm. is not f just focusing on the breath or focusing on one point on the wall, you know, when you sit for meditation. Isn't that the same as the way school teaches us to concentrate on one thing? It is, but what we're doing is developing a pattern of denying the mind for reality. Meditation denies, denies the thoughts for what is real. So we're training the mind to be calm. We're training the mind to shut up. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Nadine asks, or Savannah asks, is it that you have a mind not live as is um, a mind not live lives as is i'm not really sure of that question is it that you have a mind not live as is don't know and that's the beauty of living out of your head i don't know is a reasonable answer to everything and in the i don't know you're basically being a beginner and as a beginner life is wonderment it's awesome the moment we think we know we've we, we're lost we're lost in some dream again we're closed stay open stay with the beginner's mind of not knowing 
and have a wonderful life. Thank you for satsang. Good to see your brave hearts here today.